0: we're going to continue our series through the book of James. So you're in James 3 already. Our sermon text this morning is James 3 verses 1 to 12, verses 1 to 12. With that, these are the words of God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Holy Word today. And we declare with the psalmist, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So Lord, we come to you this morning. We ask you, re-speak the truth of your word today to our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, we welcome your Holy Spirit. By your Holy Spirit, guide us, lead us, shepherd us, O Lord illuminate your word to our hearts oh god we ask all of this in the name of jesus and everyone said together amen amen Amen. back in the old days in the early to mid 90s (laughs) way back then those of you who were alive and old enough to remember We'll recall a TV commercial that begins with cooking oil sizzling in a hot frying pan. The narrator then says, this is drugs. A few seconds later, an egg is cracked. It goes into the frying pan. And as you watch the egg sizzling as it cooks, sparks of oil jumping out of the pan... The narrator says, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Many of you remember it. It was a powerful ad. And it was a powerful ad with a clear purpose. The clear purpose was to warn people, and in particular, young people, of the horrible, devastating, lifelong consequences of drug abuse. Everyone who saw the ad understood the message. If you use drugs, this is what you will do to your brain. If you use drugs, you will turn your brain into a fried egg. So if you don't want that to happen to you, don't do it. Don't do drugs. Here in the passage before us, the author James does something similar. Without the aid of a TV screen, James employs vivid imagery in order to warn. A bit in a horse's mouth directs the entire physical body of a horse. A tiny rudder directs a massive ship. And a small fire sets ablaze an entire forest. Like an egg in the frying pan, these images taken together serve to lovingly warn. And they warn not against drug abuse, but rather they warn God's people, they warn us regarding the horrible, disastrous, tragic consequences of misusing and abusing the tongue. In summary, the message of our text is this. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Do not tolerate sinful speech in your life because if you do, devastating consequences will surely follow. Again, do not tolerate sinful speech in your life, because if you do, devastating consequences will surely follow. In the remainder of our time, I trust you will see how the passage itself bears this warning out. Let us now consider a survey of the text. In verse 1, James reminds his original readers and all of us that a man ought not take on the office of pastor-teacher flippantly or lightly. He ought not to do this, James says, because those who teach, as you see in your text, will be judged with greater strictness. In first century Jewish culture, people greatly honored, revered, and esteemed the role of teacher. To be a teacher was seen to be a great thing. And it came with the added perk of increased social status. And all that came along with that increased status. Given this reality, it seems quite probable commentators think that some among the first readers of this letter were motivated by the sinful ambitions James speaks of later on in verse 14 to seek the office of pastor-teacher. In verse 1, James warns his readers against such folly by reminding them that teachers of God's Word will be judged with greater strictness. Clear reference there to the final judgment. This reminds us, while entrance into heaven is indeed by grace and grace alone. Entrance into heaven is by grace and grace alone. For Christians, there is a judgment of rewards. There is a judgment of rewards, the outcome of which is determined by how we conduct ourselves during our sojourning here on earth. For every pastor and every man aspiring to the pastoral office, God's word is clear. On the last day, God will judge us with greater strictness for how we steward the responsibility of leading and shepherding the flock of God, which Jesus Christ himself Bought with his own blood. What a sobering reality. And I appeal to you, please pray for us as your pastors. Please pray for Jeremy and I that we would steward these roles faithfully. And thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you to all of you who so faithfully do just that. This exhortation regarding teachers... Leads James to highlight the fact that verse two, please look there. We all stumble in many ways. The idea is pastors, and we all—that is, every believer—we we all stumble in the Christian life in many ways. Every believer knows this from personal experience to be true. Do we not? We know this to be true. We all stumble. We all fall short. We all sin. And not just once in a while. We do so every day, which is why we need a Savior. And praise the Lord, we have one. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done. James goes on to explain, pastors and all believers stumble not only in a general way, not only in a general way, but verses 2 and following, we also stumble in a particular way. That is, we all stumble in what we speak and in what we say. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, James says, he is a perfect man. That is, he is a perfect person. So we get the point. No one, right? No one save the Lord Jesus Christ is is perfect, Therefore, this indictment applies universally to all. All of us, no exceptions, stumble in our use of the tongue. James then illustrates the power the tongue wields and the potential for evil that it possesses. To be clear, James' intention is not to condemn. That's not his intention His intention is in no way, shape, or form to condemn. Rather, as I mentioned a few moments ago, it is to lovingly warn the people of God with the intent of preserving us from the dangerous, harmful consequences of evil and sinful speech. So, James says, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth which controls the entire direction of the horse. Verse 3. Similarly, the tongue is like a small rudder on a large ship that steers the massive aircraft carrier, as it were. That's verse 4. The point here in these two illustrations is power, power to direct. Power, power to direct. The tongue is this tiny thing, and yet it is powerful, unlike anything else, to set direction for good or for evil. 1987, President Ronald Reagan standing in front of the Berlin Wall, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. You remember that? What then happened? Around two years later, the wall, in fact, fell, came down. The Cold War soon ended. And all of Europe began to be radically transformed. So the tongue, the tongue has power. It has power and it directs. This is just as true in our own lives, in our personal lives, as it is in world affairs. We have all observed, perhaps experienced, a timely word of encouragement propelling us forward into a positive direction that perhaps we never thought possible. Consider the situation where a teenage boy struggles with self-confidence and lacks godly ambition. He thinks to himself... He thinks to himself, I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm not that gifted or good looking. I'll I'll never amount to much of anything. That's just the way he thinks about himself. I'm no good. Never amount to anything. Never accomplish anything. Until one day, his father comes to him and says, you can do it, son. You can get the degree. You can get the job. You can get the girl. (laughs) Go for it. Get moving. God is with you. The Lord will help you. And then life direction begins to take shape. The young man's mindset and attitude changes entirely, and he eventually, in due course of time, gets all three. He gets the degree, he gets the job, and he gets the girl, even though he's still not all that good-looking. Poor girl. Um, Anyway, so words have power to direct. Words have power to direct, they have power to direct in a positive way. Yet we have all observed and perhaps experienced the exact opposite, right? The exact opposite of that. A word of gossip, uh, slander, ridicule, insult, or anger that just devastates that harms and injects such pain into our souls that we may struggle to recover and move forward in a God-glorifying, productive manner. Some Some of you have thoughts coming to mind right now of things that have been said to you in your life that sting to this day. It's the power of the tongue. I pray that God, by His Holy Spirit, if you feel that way right now, would even today just pour out His Holy Spirit on you, touch your heart, and bring comfort. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Not true. Not true. And that is exactly what verses 5-8 to go on to explain. In these verses, James labors to show us the potential for evil that the tongue possesses. The tongue is like the small fire that sets an entire forest ablaze. Verse 5. The forest there represents human relationships set on fire, lit on fire by the tongue. The tongue is, verse 6, a world of unrighteousness. I like the KJV. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue defiles the body and is set on fire by hell. Verse 6. All kinds of beasts and animals can be tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. Verse 7. The tongue is a restless evil. You see that? Verse 8. It's full of deadly poison. I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you view your tongue as possessing that kind of? of powerful potential for evil? In verses 9-10, to 10, James goes on. He goes on to point out the instability and duplicity of the tongue. From the same mouth, he says, come both blessing and cursing. Just think about it. What two activities could be more diametrically opposed to one another? Blessing on the one hand? Blessing God on the one hand? And cursing other people on the other. The idea is here, we bless God, come to church, we praise Him in the church service, then we go home after the service, and sometime that very day, or during the week, we curse. We speak angrily, harshly to another human being, another person made in God's very image and likeness. And of verse 10, James then exhorts all believers, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. So that really is the main thrust of the Word of God, of this passage today. Not my opinion, this is the Word of God. That's the main thrust there. These things, these evil, sinful uses of the tongue, these things ought not be so. They ought not characterize the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 11-12, to James goes on to remind us have something key here that the tongue does not operate on autopilot, right? Doesn't operate on autopilot. Rather, the heart controls the tongue, in the same way that a freshwater spring cannot pour forth two different types of water—salt water and freshwater. So, a truly upright, godly, righteous heart will not consistently produce both wicked and godly speech. This point is made again in verse 12 where James explains that a fig tree does not produce olives and a grapevine does not produce figs. This reminds us that problems with the tongue are first heart problems. For as Jesus said, what? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Practically, here's what this means. It means... It means that no matter how sorely tempted that I may be, I only have one person to blame for my speech problems. And you're looking at him, right? The blame for my speech problems, for Chris Patton's speech problems, no matter how tempted I am, falls on me. And on me alone. No one else can be rightly blamed for my Speech failures. It also means that in order to become more godly in my speech, I must first repent of the sinful attitudes and idols that drive my ungodly words. Just one more thing I want to mention here. We're just marching through the text here. While verse 13 is not part of the passage today, Jeremy's going to teach on that next week, I do want to point out a very important connection here that we, we really need to see. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's important to note that verse 13 is very closely connected to our text. The person who is wise and understanding is one who not only demonstrates good conduct generally, but who demonstrates good conduct as it pertains to his or use of the tongue. The wise man, or wise woman, is the one, here's the connection, the wise man or wise woman is the one who's able to control this thing, who's able to control the tongue. The fool, as we know from Proverbs, does not do so. So that is the that is sober warning of our text. Live wisely. Live wisely. Watch your tongue. Do not tolerate sinful speech in your life because if you do, devastating consequences will surely follow. You will be guilty of lighting or perpetuating relational fires and injecting relational and spiritual poison into other people. It is... This is a sober warning to say the least. They don't get a whole lot in Scripture. Warnings... uh, They don't get much more sobering than this. So we've considered an overview, an overview of the the text as we've gone through it. I now offer for your consideration three practical recommendations, okay, that we can take home with this. Three practical recommendations um, that are drawn from the text. So these aren't just my thoughts there. Uh, drawn from I trust you 'll see they 're drawn from the text. The text is extremely clear, right? Verse two: We all stumble in many ways, and we all stumble in particular. The text is clear when it comes to our use of the tongue. In light of this statement, i don 't see how even the most mature Christian would be able to say i 've got my tongue perfectly under control." I am perfectly God-honoring and wise in my speech. My tongue is absolutely not an issue. I want you to notice, even James himself says, we, we, we all stumble. So James is including himself in this indictment, and I don't think any of us here would say, we got our act together with the tongue more than James does. So, this warning in our text, I think, I think you see here, it calls for genuine humility, it calls for authentic humility. It calls for humility because unless we first see ourselves as those who actually fail in these ways, who actually stumble and fall in these ways, if we don't see ourselves that way, then we won't ever take the steps to change, right? And take the steps to grow. The difficulty is we don't always see ourselves clearly in this matter. Okay? And I begin, I begin with myself. One obvious reason for this, we struggle with pride. Anyone not struggle with pride? We struggle with pride. It is human nature to think of ourselves as better than we are. So in a text like this, when coming to a text like this or hearing a sermon like this, we more easily see the speck in our spouse's eye, our sibling's eye, our coworker's eye, than the log that is protruding nice and large from our own. Our self-perception can also be off because, frankly, this topic, the topic of biblical speech, is not one that many believers have thought long and hard about. There is not even all, if, all that much teaching, modern teaching anyways, out there on this subject. Which is, to me as a pastor, very sad given the high degree of importance that Scripture places on this topic of how we use the tongue. When was the last time you heard of a Christian bestseller on the topic of the tongue? On the topic of biblical speech. Ten ways to take control of your tongue. That's not a real book title. I just made it up. Whenever... When was the last time you saw that on like the Amazon top fifty or whatever website you go to top selling Christian book site you, you have you know I, and actually I went through I found a list CBD Christian book distributors top fifty Chris, Christian books that have sold recently and as far as I could tell, I, I went through each of the fifty and read the titles as far as I could tell, not one of those fifty books was focused on This topic, not one. So the topic, this topic of controlling the tongue is not popular, which is why I think sometimes we don't see ourselves clearly on this. I would also add this topic is not uh, particularly American either. We are the land of the First Amendment. Free speech, right? And free speech is important, right? It, It is important. While it is important, I remind you, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we aren't completely free. We are not completely free. Above all, we are citizens of Christ's kingdom and slaves of Christ. Jesus Christ is our King. Amen? He is our Lord. He is our Master, our Owner. Therefore, our speech, your speech and mine, must come under His Lordship and his authority. This means that there is never a moment where God's holy law, God's righteous standards for my speech do not apply. Never a moment where God's standards, God's law for speech do not apply to my life. At the dinner table, talking with my kids after a long day at work where I'm tired. God's word, in that moment, it applies. Before bed, Talking to my wife. God's word, his law, his standards apply. On the computer. Posting on Facebook. Though I am not on Facebook. God's word applies. It applies comprehensively, fully, and completely. Hour by hour, moment by moment, day by day. I ask you, dear brothers and sisters, do you believe that? More importantly, I'm speaking to myself again. Do you live that? Excuse me, I lost my place here. Again, as Christians, our consciences um, are not always particularly sensitive when it comes to sins in this area. I heard theologian and pastor Sinclair Ferguson once say this. and This really struck me. He's a man I highly respect. Sometimes I wonder if the misuse of the tongue is actually a peculiarly evangelical sin. Sometimes I wonder if the misuse of the tongue is actually a peculiarly evangelical sin. And James, writing back in the first century, apparently would agree. We all stumble and fall, he says. And particularly so with regards to the tongue. So my encouragement to all of you is this. Again, talking to myself. Very simply, may you and I, may we all seek to be really humble as we consider our own use of the tongue. May we consider to be seek to be humble as we consider our own use of the tongue. May we not just assume, you know, I don't use four-letter words, I don't take the Lord's name in vain. I don't yell and scream. Therefore, you know, this tongue, I, I can sort of escape, get around this text. Let's not have that attitude. Instead, may we humbly allow Scripture to both inform our consciences as to what is right and wrong and to convict us where we ourselves may need to come to the foot of the cross and, and repent. Again, this applies to both our verbal communication as well as to our online communication and our communication on our apps and in text with our phones. Practically, this means biblical categories of gossip, slander, truth-telling, bearing false witness. These, these biblical categories need to be operational for us. They must function for us in our marriages. In our marriages, these Categories must function in our families, in Grace Community Church, in our jobs. They must function. And if we're to use our tongues wisely, I, I think we just it's important that we understand these categories, think about them, and then apply them, again, not just once in a while, but apply them daily. Because God's Word applies moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. I commend a sermon by Pastor Kevin DeYoung from several years ago where he goes into some detail on these things. So I'll email you the link to that in the next day or two. I would encourage you as an application of this sermon, if you want to take this text really seriously, I know you do, listen to that sermon, and then take time with it, right? Maybe as a married couple, as a family, take time with it, and then seek to apply it. Again, what I'm seeking to emphasize here is that if we are to take the warning of this text seriously, it is critical it is critical that we first humbly acknowledge we stumble and fall in this area. And then from that place of humility, then seek to grow and become more wise in our use of the tongue Uh, for the health of our families, the health of our church, and ultimately for God's glory. All right, recommendation number two. Recommendation number two. Don't underestimate the tongue's power Harm. Don't underestimate the tongue's power to harm. James is abundantly clear: the tongue possesses far more power than we typically realize. Again, that's the point of the illustrations of the bit in the horse's mouth directing the horse, the small rudder directing the large ship, and the small fire, small campfire setting the entire forest ablaze. The tongue—the point is—the tongue is this super small, tiny little thing but it boasts of great things. It's a tiny thing, boasts of great things. So the tongue, I don't always think of my tongue this way, but it's it's here in the text, the tongue has power. It has potent power. And that power can be used both ways, right? It can be used both ways. It can be used for good, and it can be used for evil. Kind of like the Force in Star Wars. I don't know if that helps. Um, that said, this text focuses, it can be used for good and evil, the text focuses on warning against the tongue's potential for evil it focuses on that side of things it focuses on warning against the dark side of the tongue, if you will in verse 6, James this is super sobering and uh, to me, I think it will be to you, in James in 3.6, 3.6, James says the tongue itself is a small fire. And I want you to notice what it says at the very end. Set on fire by hell itself. I, I, I parked on that in my meditation of the passage. The reference to hell is intended by God. I mean, it's there on purpose. The Holy Spirit put it there. And it's intended by God to arrest attention. Um, Again, I'll move to the Star Wars illustration again. Kind of like the sound of Darth Vader breathing into his mask, right? When you watch Star Wars and you hear that sound of Vader breathing, I can't do it very well. But you know what I'm saying. When you hear that sound, particularly if you're in the theater and you're hearing it, you know, in the loud speakers, what do you immediately feel when you hear... Vader breathing. You feel beware, right? You feel evil, danger. Likewise, this statement here, the tongue is a small fire, it is a small fire, set on fire by hell. It's it's intended to have that kind of effect on us. It points to huge danger, huge danger, and the fact that the enemy of our souls, the devil, enjoys employing the human tongue to bring harm and wreak havoc everywhere. Marriages, families, churches, and more. It is extremely sobering to consider, brothers and sisters, that there is real spiritual warfare involved in our use of the tongue in the workplace, in the church, in the home, Everywhere, It is extremely sobering for me personally to consider that when I am speaking with my wife in the car or talking to a friend after church or texting in a group chat or posting on social media, I can be a vessel for good or I can actually in my ignorance, thoughtlessness, folly be used of I and my tongue can be used of Satan and his demons to light and spread fires that destroy. Or to switch analogies, I can be used of the enemy to figuratively inject deadly poison into another person or group of people. This isn't coming from me. Look at verse 8. It's right there. Oh, how it grieves me to consider how would you like to spend hours with this text? <laughs> it's a blessing. How it agrees me to consider my own folly. I just review the decades. My own folly, with my own tongue at different points. Things I've said that I regret that bring me sorrow. Brothers and sisters, I pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, this warning is here to really help us. I pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, would help us to not be naive and ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Our adversary is a prowling lion, seeking those whom he may devour. The devil is out to destroy. We can be sure, this is in Scripture, the enemy is out to destroy every good work of God. Everyone. Every church. Every marriage. Every family. One of his chief weapons? The folly of this, of the human tongue. We all know outbursts of anger, fits of rage. What do they do? They tear down and destroy. Gossip and slander. Likewise, tear down and destroy. Gossip, just a quick review, is the spreading of negative information about another person for no positive, redemptive reason. Gossip is spreading negative information about another person for no positive, redemptive reason. Reason, even if the information is true. Slander is spreading lies or half-truths about another person such that another individual's reputation is in some way harmed. It's lies, half-truths, spreading those things. And we all know it all, all it takes is a little gossip here, a little gossip there, a little slander here, a little slander there, suddenly suspicion grows. Trust erodes. Unity is undermined. Before long, a family is on fire, as it were, with dissension. Or a church or a denomination is burning down with suspicion and lack of trust. Again, sadly, many of us know this to be true. Either from observation, just knowing other people, other churches, or I think, in a room this with this many people, there are some stories to tell of ways that some of you have seen this. What a tragic and poor testimony, dear brothers and sisters, to a watching world when the devil sets ablaze family relationships and church relationships by means of the sinful speech of men and women who bear the name of, of Christian. How tragic that is. And I just want to say on the authority of this passage, brothers and sisters. These things ought not be so. That's what it says, right? These things ought not be so. May we take God's word to heart. May we take it to heart on this day and not be guilty of underestimating the tongue's power to harm, the tongue's power to destroy. Rather, as soldiers in the Lord's army, let's again seek to humbly yield ourselves fully and completely to the Lord Christ, to King Jesus. Not just generally, but yield ourselves to him and our use of the tongue. May we ta- pray daily the Lord's Prayer over what we speak and say. I've found great joy the past month or so praying the Lord's Prayer almost every day. Lord, lead me. We should pray that over what we speak though as well as all of life. Lord, lead me not into temptation but deliver me from the evil one Let us also watch over our hearts carefully, for again we see in verses 11 to 12 all problems with the tongue, our first heart problems. So bitterness, unforgiveness, these things must be repented of and dealt with in the presence of God before the Lord if we want to have any hope of controlling our tongues. Our Lord commands us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, I am to pray that God would forgive me with the same liberality that I have forgiven others. I'm to pray that God would forgive me, that I would be the example. I'm to pray that I would be the example of how I wish to be forgiven. How sobering. May God help me, help us to forgive and not cling to vestiges of bitterness and anger. If you are bitter, if i am bitter i guarantee you we will have difficulty great difficulty controlling our tongues bitterness is like gasoline it's like it's like fuel on the fire of sinful speech even a drop of bitterness is like even a drop if you find even a drop in your soul as i do at times if you find a, even a drop of bitterness well that's like a drop of gasoline on a on a fire if you ever drop a little drop of gasoline, you're going to see and feel the effects of it. Well, It's the same way with a bitter heart. So if there is bitterness in any of your hearts here, I urge you, even as I urge myself, please, I beg you to deal with it. Don't waste any time. Do not delay. Don't delay a single second. Don't let the enemy to have a foothold into your life. Ask God's. Forgiveness for that bitterness and that angst that's eating away at your soul. Receive his forgiveness and then seek God for his grace. Plead with him for his grace to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. And henceforth, experience the joy of a conscience cleansed by the blood of your dear Savior, Jesus. And henceforth, experience the joy of reflecting the grace of the Lord to those who have so sinned against you. Third recommendation. Don't forget, those who most tempt you are made in God's image. Please look at verse 9. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people. Notice what, what it says next. This is so huge. Who are made in the likeness When another human being in some way tempts you by what they say or do to sin with the tongue, it is very easy in that moment when you are tempted, when I am tempted, it is very easy in that moment to forget and overlook the fact that the person tempting you the most is a human being made in God's image. They are, as one commentator puts it, a reflection of the divine. A reflection of the divine. This is what makes us as human beings distinct from all of God's creation. We are made in God's likeness. And because of that, when we curse others, when we declare in any way harm over them, James helps us to see it is a direct offense against God himself. Again, because of the person we are cursing is made in God's very image and likeness. The image of God in all of us due to remaining sin is in certain respects marred. It's in certain respects defaced. But the image of God in all human beings is there. Therefore, I have absolutely no right. In light of this, every man, every woman, boy and girl, made in the image of God, I have absolutely no right to curse the person Who is tempting me? I have absolutely no right to speak harshly to them, demean them, or gossip about them to other people. Instead, even when I must bring a correction to them, I must do so lovingly, respectfully, honoring them as fellow image bearers of the living God. So next time you are tempted to speak harshly to or about another person, Next time you are tempted to speak in that way, I encourage you, remember that. Remember that the person who is tempting you right now, the person tempting you right now, your spouse, your child, your fellow church member, co-worker, another person, remember, they are a reflection of the divine. And from that place of respect, you can then proceed, that place of respect and proceed to speak wise words, spirit-given words that aim to restore, that aim to edify, that aim to build up. All right, let's bring this home, and if the band would join me on stage, that would be great. We all stumble in many ways. So, have you stumbled recently? Have you spoken harshly to your spouse, your child, your coworker? Have you become sinfully angry with them? Have you demeaned them or disrespected them? Have you gossiped or slandered to another person about them? You may not be guilty, I acknowledge you personally may not be guilty of any of those things recently. Here's why I ask. (laughs) It's because of what our text says. Because of what God says. We all stumble in many ways. So if you have stumbled recently in your speech, and you are aware of it this morning, and convicted of it by the Holy Spirit, I urge you. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to Him. Come to Jesus today. Come to Him today. Don't delay. Ask Him to forgive you and receive. Ask Him to forgive you and receive His forgiveness. God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, founding, and steadfast love. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. So, come to your Savior today. Brother, sister. Receive His forgiveness. And where necessary, I encourage you to go to that person, your spouse, your son, your daughter, your co-worker, whoever it may be that you've sinned against, where appropriate, ask for their forgiveness as well. And then I invite you to pray this, and may we all pray this. <laughs> may we all pray this daily. May we all pray with the psalmist who prayed Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my Lips Set a guard, the Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The Lord wants us to avoid all forms of sinful speech, brothers and sisters, and to use us to love one another with our words, to build up, to console, to encourage, to at times graciously correct, at all times seeking to edify. May God, by His Holy Spirit, Help us to do just that. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for how you have spoken to us through your word. Thank you for how you have lovingly warned us today. And Lord, we ask, we ask you, please forgive us of our stumbling, forgive us of our folly, forgive us of our angry words, harsh words. Words of gossip, words of slander that we have spoken and regret and wish we could take back. Forgive us, Lord. And Father, thank You that through the cross You've made provision for our sin with our mouths. On the cross, Your Son Jesus, O oh Father, bore the penalty we deserve so that we could be forgiven and free. So thank You, Lord, for forgiving us. Oh, God, thank You for forgiving us. And Lord, by the power of Your Spirit, we also ask that going forward, You would help us. You would help us to walk more wisely in what we speak and in what we say in order that our words would build up, edify, and bring great glory to You. Thank You, Heavenly Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you desire to help us to that end. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen.